Romans chapter number 9. Romans chapter number 9. I've been in church a long time, my whole life. So I, the first few years, I can't remember much. I don't remember all the trouble I got into in the nursery or things like that. I don't remember a lot of that. But I would say in all my years of probably remembering a lot of church would be at least 30 years of remembering a lot. I do not know of a time that I've ever heard a preacher pat preach on these verses through here. Some of you in this room have been in church longer than me, and so you might have heard a message here or there. I hear these verses every once in a while used, but the problem a lot of times that happens is, and it's good topical preaching, I'm all for it, and I do that at times, but sometimes you can miss the context by taking the text out of context. Like this morning, I've heard many Many good preachers preach about how if you don't go out and proclaim Christ to the, to the lost, he's going to be ashamed of you someday from that text this morning. That's not at all what that text was talking about. But if you take that one verse out of Mark this morning where it says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you, you could take that one verse and you could get people to think anything they want to from that one verse. But if you take the context of the passage, it has to do if you can't confess and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, if, if you don't make that confession for salvation, he'll be ashamed of you. That's a salvation statement there. And so when we look at the context of things, there's a lot to it. Tonight's message, there are going to be things we look at here, and you might look and say, well, that just doesn't seem fair that God would do that. I want to help us out before I even dive into the message and help you with something None of us have the right to tell God what is fair and what's not fair. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you what's fair tonight. This is fair for every one of us, that we go and die and burn in hell. That's fair. That's fair. So you might say, well, does God choose some things? The Bible says some things that we're going to look at tonight. I am not a Calvinist. I'm far from it. And we've talked about those things. But there are some things that Calvinists say that there are partial truths to. And you'll see some of that tonight. And so this is what you've got to understand. When it comes to the Word of God, I don't apologize for what it says. I always give the Lord the benefit of any doubts that I have, and I always trust Him. The other thing is, I'm never going to fully understand everything about God. Some people, I think, have it in their minds that they're going to find out and know everything there is to know about God. If that was possible then he wouldn't be God. It's like, come on, men, let's be honest tonight. I'm never going to fully understand my wife. And when I think I got her figured out, she's going to throw me for a loop with something else. That's just how it goes. That's a part of life. And that's just, that's just it. It's, and you, you're not going to ever fully understand. You're not going to, you know, her emo emotions and things, you will not fully understand all those things. And you, when you think you got figured out, you'll realize you haven't got figured out. You will never figure God out. Don't try and put God into your narrow little box and make him the God you want him to be because you're being like Peter was last Sunday morning. And so tonight we're going to look at some things, and I'm going to do my best. All I can do is my best. That's all I can do. 
God didn't call me. I am not an orator like some people are or a scholar like some are. I heard just a few days ago, and Nick, I know you like Adrian Rogers, and I listened to a message of his, and man, that guy is, an or- that guy is good. Brian Pattison is not Adrian Rogers, okay? Not even close, and I never claimed to be, and I won't be. There's lots of other preachers. I will never have the intellect that they do. God didn't design me that way. God made Brian, Brian. And so you're stuck with that. But I'm going to do my best tonight through this passage. If I create more questions in your mind, then help. Send me your questions, and I'll see if I can go a little deeper and help you a little bit. But tonight, as we get going into the message, we're not in the shallow waters or in the light milk of the Word of God tonight. We're in the strong meat, and this strong meat is going to take a little time to chew, and this is, we're in spiritual deep waters tonight. You're not, this is, this is deep stuff, and sometimes, and you might be here tonight, and you might be newer to Christianity, you're watching online and newer to Christianity, it's going to be even tougher for you because this is new to you. Just go with me tonight, and we will get as far as we can, see what we can get. Last week, we started chapter number 9 by seeing Paul's burden for the children of Israel. And Paul says how the heaviness of his heart that he has and how he wished that he could be accursed from God so that Israel might know the true God. He had a deep burden for the people of Israel. And as we go through these things and as we look tonight, Paul wanted the Jewish, uh, the Jewish readers here to understand that salvation is a divine experience. That's what it is. It begins with God and salvation ends with God. He originated it. He continues it. And he's the culmination of our faith. That's where it says in Hebrews chapter number 12 verse number 2 looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's who he is. It is all God, all the way when it comes to salvation. And to think that it's us, you, have, you are mistaken tonight. Because it is not us. Ephesians makes it clear that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. A dead man can't do anything. Am I right? A dead man can do nothing. That you are incapable of doing anything. That means salvation is all by God and through God. You think about this, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The grace that we're given is a gift from God. The faith that we're given is a gift from God. It all comes from Him, because dead men can't experience anything. Really, you want to explain something? Think about this one tonight. Remember the day that someone read the scriptures and you were convicted in your heart that you needed Jesus? You were dead. How can a dead man be convicted? It's all God. All the way through. And that's what this passage we're going to look at tonight and dive deeper into. Paul seeks tonight in this passage to explain the matter of God's divine sovereignty to us in the matter of salvation. He wants us to know 
that beyond all doubt, and I hope that you'll get this tonight, that God is in absolute control of salvation. He saves us. There is nothing in that of ourselves that we do. Salvation is all from him. He's the author of it and the finisher of it. As we look through this passage tonight, the title of my message is, We're Bound by the Lord's Purposes. We're going to dive in a little deeper tonight, and I want you to see some things. Number one, we see divine selection. We see divine selection. We're going to read verse number 6 through verse 13. Now, tonight, and as we go through here, we are going through verse 33. I'm not reading all of those verses to begin with. I'm going to read each section as we go through to help break it down just a little bit more. So look at verse number 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also hath conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, look at this verse carefully, verse number 11. For the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Do you see where I get we're bound by the Lord's purposes? Right from that verse. So it says that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. In these verses as we go through, Paul is teaching us the matter of who is chosen by God. And it's a decision that comes down to God himself. Letter A. We see a word about position here. From the end of verse 6 through verse number 10, we see a word about position. What I mean by that, Paul, what he does here is he points out the fact that just because you were born into Israel or of the nation of Israel doesn't mean that you're saved because you're a child, a, one of the children of Israel. That's not what I mean. In other words, it's not about family. Just because a person is a descendant of Abraham doesn't make him a child of God. There must be a time in his life where he puts his trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. So we, and I will hear many today out there that like this, this replacement theology that will say that Israel, you know, the, the children of Israel, they aren't God's chosen, they are God's chosen people. But just because they're God's chosen people 
doesn't mean that they get to heaven any different than anyone else. Everyone must get to heaven through Jesus Christ. That's, that's key. And so Paul here is talking a word about position here. And you've got to understand that when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what family you're born into. Being a descendant of Abraham didn't make that person right with God. You think about Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Both of them were sons of Abraham, weren't they? Were they? Yes. But only one of them was chosen by God for a divine purpose, which was Isaac. That was God's plan. Am I wrong on that? So what this lets us know is that for all intents and purposes, family relationship is worthless when it comes to salvation. That's a word for us tonight as well. This needs to be remembered. Just because you're descendants of a strong Christian home, or your mom and dad were good Christians, or your great-grandpa was a Baptist pastor, whatever the case may be, doesn't get you any closer to heaven. Salvation is an individual decision, not a family decision. So when it comes to Israel here, yes, they are the children of Israel, God's chosen people, but being God's chosen people doesn't get you to heaven any different than it does for a Gentile. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul starts out here. It's a word about position. We need to remember that. You must be born again. Letter B. We see there's a word here about performance. We look at verse number 11. It says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. God chose before Ishmael or Isaac were ever born that Isaac was going to be the one. But do we need, do we don't, we could go down that road and talk about that for a minute. Didn't God promise Sarah that she would have a son? God did. God had a plan and God foreordained that Abraham and Sarah would have a son. Abraham and Sarah are older. They don't think that's going to happen. So Sarah gets this great idea. We have this Egyptian handmaid, which they got when they were in Egypt. They should never went to Egypt to begin with. God never told them to in the famine, but that's another story for another time. And so we see that he has a child, Ishmael. But before they were ever born, before they could be good people or bad people, before any of those things would take place, God already chose, according to, as it says, what does it say here? The purpose of God, according to election, might stand. It was not by works, but of him that calleth. God made his decision. We see a word here about performance. God made his decision between Ishmael and Isaac before either boy had been born. God, in his divine wisdom, decided which son would be blessed and which son would not be. Did God know that Ishmael would be born? Yes, he did. Did God know how all this would unfold? Yes, he did. And God, as we look at these things, we learn from here that the fact is, the truth of the matter is, it was not about which boy was better. We could look and study it out, and Ishmael, he was a wild guy, wasn't he? He was. It wasn't about who was better. 
God chose this before that time. And may I just remind you tonight that as we think all the works that men can do cannot buy man a place in heaven. There is nothing inside of us good enough to add up. And may we just be reminded of that tonight, that the best that Brian Pattison can produce in his life is filthy rags. Same as you tonight. Isaiah 64, verse number 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. I'm not going to give you the full definition of filthy rags tonight. It's disgusting. That's our best, because it never adds up. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. That's what Paul lays out in Ephesians chapter number 2. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We walk according to the course of this world, all these different things. And then he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Paul's laying this out here in the book of Romans. That he gives us a word here, first of all tonight, about position. It doesn't matter if you're God's chosen people or if you're a Gentile. You get to Jesus the same way. You must get to him. The second word we see here is a word about performance. Our good works cannot get it. God didn't choose Ishmael and Isaac. He didn't choose Isaac over Ishmael based on how good he was. He chose before he was ever born. That's what the scripture says. And then we see letter C, we see a word about purpose. These verses tell us the truth that salvation isn't based in our family, nor is it based on our fruits or the things that we do. But our salvation, get this tonight, it's based solely in the will of the Father. While family and fruit are worth nothing in the arena of getting you saved, the purpose of God means everything to us. Look at what it says at the end of verse number 11 through verse 13. That the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Esau was the firstborn, wasn't he? Esau was rejected by God. But Jacob was preferred by God. Think on that for a minute. This choice was made by God before they ever entered into this world. This is how it was going to be. Now, you and I could sit back and we could say, well, why would God choose that beforehand? And you could you go down a road of different things and say, well, God knew how they would be. That is a true fact, right? Does God know everything and how everything's going to turn out and what people will do? He does. So could you say tonight that the reason why God said this about Jacob and Esau, why he said these things, was because he knew how the whole plan would, plan, would go? Could be. I think that's a good assumption right there. But it's, I'm assuming it because it doesn't tell us directly that reason. That's my assumption on this passage. And I'm letting you know that tonight. But when we look here, we see this distinction was made 
between before these boys were ever even born. And you say, why was this distinction made? Why was it going to be? Why did God prefer Isaac over Ishmael? Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? And we could go down a long list of thoughts in our minds. But I want you to understand something. At the end of the day, that's how God chose it to be. Pure, plain, and simple. That's what it says. God chose Isaac. God chose Jacob. God rejected Esau. That's what it says. That's straight from the word of God. God's wisdom in his choices was proven correct. Do we need to talk about the descendants of Ishmael? Do we need to talk about the descendants of Esau tonight? There's a reason behind all of it. And I believe that reason is because God knows all things. And he's sovereign. But when we look at this tonight and we study this thing out, you see God's purpose was proven right by the performance of those that he chose. Many people are bothered, and do, do, do your notes have Malachi 1, verse 1 through 3? Is that in the notes there? I want you to go with me to Malachi chapter 1 for a minute. Malachi chapter 1, hold your place here in Romans. I told you tonight is a little deeper than normal. I don't normally go very deep because Brian's not a very deep guy, and I don't like deep water anyways. I stay near the shallow end of the pool anyways. That's just me. Malachi chapter number 1. can't find Malachi. Maybe you pronounce it Malachi. That could be how you do it. But really what's happening here is Paul is quoting this passage there in Romans chapter number 9. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. That's what Paul is quoting in Romans chapter number 9. People have a hard time with that phrase. What does it mean that God hated Esau? When someone reads the account of Jacob and Esau in their lives as you go through, I don't see any indication in their lives that God hated Esau in the midst of that. Do you see that when you study his life out? I don't see that there. Maybe you do. But I will say that as Esau's descendants went, they got so deep into idolatry and wickedness. I do believe that that's the reason why God says he hated Esau. Because of the deeds of his descendants and the road that they went. We could go deeper into that thought, but I don't know how much deeper I want to go. And as we think about that, and think about this, didn't Esau's people, they hated the children of Israel. 
You could read some of those Old Testament, the, the minor prophets there, and we see there was, there was always animosity between the two. And as we look at this, and then when we think about these things, why was God's love focused on the descendants of Jacob and not the descendants of Esau? I believe it's because we study the descendants of Jacob and they tried to worship the true God. Did they mess up? Yeah, they were far from perfect. But they stayed truer to God than the descendants of Esau did. There's nothing godly about the descendants of Esau. And you can look at that in Scripture and find that out. Say, what does that mean for us? Just as God's plan and purpose was the reason that Isaac and Jacob were chosen. The Bible does say that Ishmael and Esau were rejected. We are saved today because God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 is all about and Romans 8, 28 through 30. That's what it teaches us. Are we okay so far tonight? All right, no one's thinking I've gone off the deep end. All right, let's go deeper. Here we go. We see number one tonight, we see divine selection. Number two, and here we go, divine sovereignty. Divine sovereignty. Verse 14 through verse number 29. The further we go with this, the more you see how deep waters we're treading here. You'll see one of the reasons why I was always not too sure about doing a series on the book of Romans because I said if I was going to do a series through the book of Romans, I was going verse by verse through here. And this is one of those passages that I would have probably just skipped over just a little bit. But I think it's good for me and good for you to see the whole word, the whole counsel of God, especially through this passage here. We look at verse number 14. It says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God not fair? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. You see that? That's of God. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. This is deep stuff. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? But nay, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump, lump to make one vessel unto honor 
and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with such long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory of the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And as he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which are not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it shall be said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. So though there is a huge number of them, only a few of them are actually going to be saved. Keep on going. For he will finish the work and cut in short, cut it short in, in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. As, and as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. That tires me out just reading that passage right there. And I'm looking at my watch, and I do not want this sermon to drag out two weeks. I want it to be done in one night. But we'll see as we continue on. We see God's sovereignty. Let's break this down a little bit further. So Paul goes through to this point, and he says, God chose Isaac and Jacob. He rejected Ishmael and Esau. And then Paul, knowing how we are, and the Holy Spirit, knowing how we are, as we look here, we see that Paul anticipates a strong reaction from the reader. And so he heads it off as if they were going to ask this question and basically say, isn't God unfair to choose some and reject others before they're even born? No, because in our, in our world today, we like to say, you know, we use this phrase that all men are created equal. Is that a Bible term? That's an, that's an America term, isn't it? It's an America term, not a Bible term. Just remember that. Just remember that. That's all I'm saying about that. I'm not going to go any further on that. But you've got to understand something. Paul's answer is a strong one. He says, God forbid, or may it never be, because God, get this tonight as we go deeper into this, God is always, always, always fair and just in everything he does, no matter what you think. You say, well, I don't think it's fair that he would pick Isaac, but that he wouldn't pick Ishmael. You're not God. And you don't have a right to tell God what's fair. Didn't we talk about what's fair tonight? What is fair? That we all die and go to hell. That's fair. That is fair. That's just. Am I wrong on that? I'm not wrong. So, here we go. God is always just and fair. We see letter A underneath divine sovereignty. We see letter A. We see God's right. What we see right away is that Paul first draws our attention 
to Moses and Exodus chapter number 33. When Moses came, and you see that right there in verse number 15, for I said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will show compassion. Now, one of the things that would help you as you study God's word, where did God say that to Moses? That's my first question. So I find in the Bible what this passage is about. So this passage goes back to Exodus chapter 33. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had the law with him, right? The Israelites had made the golden calf, and they had given themselves over to idolatry at the bottom of the mount, right? Moses called for those who were on the Lord's side to join him. The Levites did so. These faithful men were commanded to slay the rebels, and 3,000 men died that day. Didn't all the people who worshipped and were idolatrous at that time, didn't all of them deserve to die? Didn't they? So why did only 3,000 die? They just, it just wasn't their lucky day, right? If you weren't part of those 3,000, you would have been all right. That's what we see before our eyes right here. This is this passage. You see, all of the wicked Israelites should have been killed. But God in his grace only had 3,000 killed as a warning to the rest. Justice demanded all be killed, but grace saved some anyways. Then we're called not only to look at that passage, but to look at Pharaoh and the children of Israel. A man who thought he ruled Egypt, a man who viewed himself as a God himself. Pharaoh was reminded by God that he had been placed on the throne in Egypt so that everyone could see who the true God was and so that the true power of God could be displayed before all the people of that land right there. It was, you think about this, it was merely a display of divine sovereign choice that delivered Israel and doomed Pharaoh. Can you see the truth that the Lord's trying to paint from the passage about the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai and Pharaoh and the children of Israel in verse number 18? Are you starting to see it? These verses tell us something. Listen up. Listen well. It isn't about personal position personal performance, or about one's pursuit of God. It's all about divine choice. God chose. And you say, well, that's not fair. We already talked about that. We don't need to go back there tonight. It's not going to be fair in your eyes. But if we got fair, we'd all be in hell tonight. That's fair. That's what fair is. So as we look at this passage, and you say, but, but what if, a, so you're saying, if a person wants to be saved, can they be saved? Yes. Because whosoever will may come. That's what the Bible says, correct? But you also must be chosen by God to get saved. Say, well, what if someone wants to get saved and they're not chosen by God? They don't want to be saved. 
that's that's where people get lost in it. That's the issue right there. Because if you want to get saved, you can get saved. Because whosoever will may come. He came for the world that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Correct? But you must be chosen by God. Now you're saying, how can I be chosen by God? How does that work? I'm not going to go deep into it for you, but just go to 1 Peter for a second, okay? Go to 1 Peter real quick. And I really want to keep moving so that we can get done with this message tonight. But... Just look at 1 Peter chapter number 1 and look at verse number 2. It says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. We're elect. We're chosen. How? It's based upon the foreknowledge of God. You see that before your eyes? So if you are chosen by God for salvation, how are you chosen by God? According to his foreknowledge. Isn't that what it says? Okay, I'm not going to go any deeper with that because that should explain it to you right there. We see, letter A, we see God's right here. And you've got to understand the Bible makes it clear. Do you have in your notes John 6, 37 through 44? Do you have those verses there in your notes? I should just find where my notes are, but like I said, my, I'm all over the place tonight, but that's okay. And of course, those notes aren't there. Let's go to John chapter 6. I believe this is important for us to see, because sometimes the problem why we don't understand something completely, too, is because we don't look at the scriptures and let the scriptures answer these things for us. And so sometimes you got to take a little bit of extra time to make sure you see the scriptures. One of the things I try to make my absolute goal is to give you a ton of scripture with every message that is preached. I have a problem with someone who reads one scripture and tells you to close their Bible the rest of the message. We need the word of God. We look at John 6. Look down with me at verse 37. Look at what Jesus has to say. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Father and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And the Jews, and, um, and the Jews murmured at him, and it says, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, murmur not amongst yourselves. Look at verse 44. No man can come to me except the father which has sent me, draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Does no man mean no man? That's what it means, right? That's where, make sure, and this is a side note tonight in the message, far too many Christians try to be salesmen when it comes to salvation with people. It is not your job 
You do not save anyone. I hope you realize that tonight. You simply give the seed. It is God that works. And no man will come to Jesus Christ except the Father draw him. That's what the Bible says. So no one will get saved unless God works in their heart. Do you see that? We see God's right here tonight. Some people might say, well, it's unfair. What about man's free will? I think the Bible makes it clear that it's all about God at the end of the day, correct? Salvation. We want to add ourselves into it any way that we can, but it's got nothing to do with us. Salvation is all about him. We're just about out of time. And before we close out tonight, You know, we got to face some facts when it comes to salvation and different things. Do you realize tonight you are a sinner by choice? It's not God's fault you sin. It's not. Let's go a little deeper with that. Realize tonight it's not God that sends you to hell. God hasn't sent anyone to hell. Say then, how do people go to hell? Sin has sent people to hell. Is that wrong? Is that a wrong statement? If anybody, I'll put it out this way. If I'm saying anything tonight that's wrong, speak up. I'm not saying anything wrong. It's sin that damns people to hell, not God. Don't forget that. Men don't go to hell because they're sent by God. They go to hell because they're sinners. And someone who demands God to treat everyone fairly is a fool to give God that accusation. Salvation is about God extending his grace on whosoever will. Salvation is not based on justice. Salvation is purely the work of grace. And I'll say it again. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Those who don't want to be saved will not be saved. If there's a desire in someone's heart to come to Christ, they can come to Christ. And thank God for that in salvation. If a person is happy in their sins and wants no part, they don't have to have a part. Let's try and get letter B done real quick. We see God's reason. In verse 19 through 24, Paul anticipates another objection that might be made by his readers. If salvation is the sole work of God then what right does he have to condemn those who are not saved? That's what he's, if you look at those verses, verse 19 through verse 24. And again, I remind you of the fact that if we got justice, we'd all go to hell tonight. But God chose to demonstrate, you think about this, 
divine, sovereign grace in the lives of some. And on some, he doesn't. He will show mercy on who he wants to show mercy to. He will show grace and compassion to who he wants to show that to. He has the right because he's God. God does not, you think about this, and we see in these verses, what right does the creation have to tell the creator how to do it? What right does the clay have to tell the potter how they want to be shaped? It doesn't work that way. The clay doesn't get this, the clay gets molded by the potter, right? So you think about this tonight when we look at it, God doesn't owe an answer to man. He owes us nothing but damnation. He doesn't have to tie this up and get, make you fully understand any of it because he is God and he can do it any way he pleases. And some of you might say, well, I just don't know. Look at that phrase in verse 22. We're closing here because we've got to get out with these kids. But in verse 22, if you look at the end of that there, it says endured with such long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. The phrase fitted to destruction is in a tense that suggests that the vessels themselves choose to be made up for destruction, which takes the burden off of God and places that on the shoulders of the vessel. That's what you see before us. Something to note, and as we look at this, and something that this thought might blow your mind, but if you look at verse 22 and verse 23, verse 22 basically lets us know that God gets as much glory from displaying his wrath as he does by displaying his grace in verse 23. You could look a little closer there. God gets just as much glory from displaying his wrath in verse 22 as he does by demonstrating his grace in verse 23. Say, so, well, that seems like a contradiction. There's no contradictions. Just our understanding that needs help. When we look at all of this, and as we tie it all together, you got to understand something. I am thankful tonight that I was chosen in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. And you should be thankful too. Why we can sing a song like Complete in Thee, Among the Chosen, I will be at thy right hand, complete in thee. You say, Pastor, it just all doesn't make sense. Then maybe you need someone else to help teach you that, or you help or you give me give me what your thoughts are and I'll help you go a little deeper there. But what I want you to know tonight is this. I believe God's word as it's stated. I don't need it said any other way. I accept it. I accept the fact that God is sovereign over salvation. I accept the fact that all of life is left to his divine choices. I ex and I accept the fact and I can praise him that I am among the chosen tonight. The question is, are you? If you want him, you can have him. As I stated, if I created more questions in your mind, 
send me a text, talk to me after the service, and I'll try to help. Some things you're never going to fully understand. I did my best. I spent hours upon hours upon hours working on tonight's message. And I did the best I could with the Lord's help. If that's not good enough for you, you let me know what you need help with, and I will do my best to search it more. But I gave you all I could. And sometimes you give your very best, and then it's not enough. But I believe I did my best with the Lord's help tonight. And if you need more help with that, you ask me and I'll see what I can do. But at the end of the day, this is what the Bible says. Just trust Him, love Him, and realize what fair really means. We don't get, we, if we get His grace, if we got what was right and fair and just, we would be burning in hell tonight. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for who He is. Father,